You're listening to an irreverent podcast. Visit Irreverent FM for more content from my friends. Hello, hello, and welcome to Bad Words, an evangelical podcast where we give toxic theology the read that it deserves by taking another look at some of the books that have been given major influence in evangelical Christianity. I am Janice Legata, and this is a meeting of the Bad Book Club. We are reading Wild at Heart by John Eldridge, losing the plot on manhood one chapter at a time. We'll have a reading of the opening paragraph, I'll give a few thoughts, and then join one of the members of the Bad Book Club for a discussion. In the end, we'll hear the closing paragraph, and I'll give some closing thoughts, all with the intention of leaving you free to think your own thoughts about the chapter, the book, and all things really so. Without further ado, let's get into... Wild at Heart, Chapter 5. This story comes from the year my middle son, Blaine, made the big transition to first grade. That's a huge step for any child, leaving the comfort and safety of mom's side, spending all day at school, being among the big kids, but Blaine's a very outgoing and winsome boy, a born leader, and we knew he'd handle it swimmingly. Every night at the dinner table he regaled us with tales of the day's adventures. It was fun to recall with him the joys of those early school days, a shiny new lunchbox, brand new yellow number two pencils, a box of Crayolas with a built-in sharpener, a new desk, and new friends. We heard all about his new teacher, gym class, what they played at recess, how he was emerging as a leader in all the games. But then one night he was silent. What's wrong, Tiger? I asked. He wouldn't say, wouldn't even look up. What happened? He didn't want to talk about it. Finally, the story came out, a bully. Some first grade poser had pushed him down on the playground in front of all his friends. Tears were streaming down his cheeks as he told us the story. Blaine, look at me. He raised his tearful eye slowly, reluctantly. There was shame written all over his face. I want you to listen very closely to what I am about to say. The next time that bully pushes you down, here is what I want you to do. Are you listening? Blaine, he nodded, his big wet eyes fixed on mine. I want you to get up, and I want you to hit him, as hard as you possibly can. A look of embarrassed delight came over Blaine's face. Then he smiled. Hello everybody and welcome back to Wild at Heart. It's a man's world where men rule, but somehow women still manage to ruin everything. I am changing the format of this podcast a little bit, so stay tuned for more info on that after the discussion. And right now, get ready for another round of the blame game where everybody loses as we muddle through the mess of chapter five with this week's Bad Book Club member. Hello everyone, my name is Kevin Miguel Garcia, pronouns they, them. I am living in Atlanta, Georgia presently, and I call myself a spiritual recovery coach, which is like fancy branding speak for, I help a lot of evangelical, post-evangelicals, post-religious folk deal with the trauma that they've been through and help develop spiritual practices that are going to help ground us in the present moment and help us work through the shit so we can get on with our fucking minds. I wrote a book a couple years ago called Bad Theology Kills, and when I'm not reading my tarot cards, I spend time reading the classics like John Eldritch, just to refresh my memory. <laughs> yeah, life up until this point, I was a missionary for a hot minute. I did the World Race, which was that 11 month to 11 countries thing, similar to YWAM, if you've heard of that, but a lot less training and a lot <laughs> less oversight, which was like part of the problem. I'm currently doing research right now for a new podcast project called Ex-Missionary. And I'm looking like how much, like one of the questions is how much training did you receive? It is common to be less than two weeks. Oof. Like, lols. To go out and be ambassadors of the kingdom of God, you get two weeks of training. Which makes sense. After World Race stuff, I came back home and then I went and worked for them. I interned with them, which means I paid money 
to work for them because that's how their internships mm-hmm. work. And when mm-hmm. I came out, I was like, it's not your time to be here anymore. That's what the Holy Spirit told us. Like they all pulled the Holy Spirit told me. And I'm like, okay, bye. And so I moved to Atlanta and no money, no job, no resume at this point. And been working it out ever since. And I got to say, I love my life in Atlanta. I'm so much happier than I ever was in that space. I am more free than I ever was. And I'm so happy to be building a life that I love on the other side of it. So if you're listening to this and you're thinking, oh my gosh, I'm stuck in the middle. Don't worry. It doesn't last forever. Beautiful. We all have our testimonies that we wish we didn't have, but also are very glad that we have. And I'm very glad that you have your story because you know so much and can relate to so many people on so many different levels. And it is so needed because, Mm. yeah, there are way too many people with stories of two-week trainings and way too many people with stories of interacting with people with two-week trainings. I see this podcast project as part of my penance. Of Okay, so like, I did a lot of weird shit out there in the world. <clears throat> I look at my particular squad and like the things we were doing, and it wasn't like the most destructive things in the world. Like, we were doing some manual labor up in remote places, but I'm still asking, who could have been paid? I personally did not hold any orphans, nor take, I did take a picture with a child monk, though. Like, I thought that was just the thing to do. A child Buddhist monk. It was actually at that moment that when I realized that this child was the Christ to me and mm. I could not save them. They were here to save me. What was I doing? But that's another, that's a different podcast. And that's, that is the beauty of traumatic evangelical upbringings is that we, we have multitudes of podcasts. <laughs> For all of our issues. <laughs> How did you process it? We started a podcast. Oh, yeah. yeah. And then that one didn't quite cover it, so I started another one. Hopefully between the 14 podcasts that I have, I'll make enough (laughs) ad money to cover the cost of all the podcasts that I'm doing. So speaking of all the evangelical traumas, Wild at Heart. Chapter 5. How, when, where did you first become aware of Wild at Heart? Wild at Heart came to me at the tender age of 13 or 14. Because for some reason, like being the pious child and like they really tried to make you into the man or whatever. And it was like pretty obvious that okay, Kevin loves God. He's still young. So like maybe we can get that, get that fagginess out of him. Like maybe we can get that little, his little lilt in his voice. He's got a little broken wrist syndrome. What can we do about this? Let's take him to promise keepers. I'm saying to promise keepers at age 13. I am literally the only teen. I didn't see another teen there of any variety so that was wild because i remember just like everybody here hates themselves so is this what it means to be a man after god's own heart is to hate yourself okay cool and then it was during that time like everyone's reading all the men in the church are reading wild at heart so i better pick it up and reading through it it was like oh yeah i was a pretty effeminate kid and so i didn't feel like i was being indoctrinated into femininity but i feel like I was just, I've always been like a very feminine and soft person. And so this was telling me when I first encountered it, that you're allowed to have all your emotions, but your primary thing that you have to have is the desire for adventure, like the desire to go out and fight, quote unquote, men have a desire to fight battles. So yeah, that's what I got into. So a lot of it was like, I like, I modeled some of my behavior off of this book because it was like, okay. This is what it means to be a man. And I know that I'm not good at being a man. So I got to like really 
white knuckle my way in there. So this along with X gay therapy was like creme de la creme of just like <laughs> bad shit. Because the problem, and they mentioned this at the very end of this chapter too, is that the quote unquote person who struggles with same sex attraction, they, they mm-hmm. give like the old bullshit debunked psychological statement of people who are attracted to people of the same sex lack either the masculinity or femininity within themselves or they perceive that they lack it and so their attempt to search for it becomes sexualized later on because of sin not because because of sin no other like reason because you're bad rather than maybe you just like different bodies people can like different things we didn't know that so yeah that's how i got introduced to it it was like the thing it was like wild at heart and then we're gonna do wild at heart in the high school boys youth group and we're gonna have our high school boys youth who we just met by ourselves and a lot of time it was just confessing how many times we masturbated so like <laughs> how much and what kind of porn did you watch and i'm like are we what are we doing here this right. is too erotic <laughs> Or as John Eldridge would say, because I was just reading that in one of his other chapters, masturbation is self-sabotage. So y'all were just sabotaging yourself. I I was. Still am. (laughs) Sabotaged myself earlier today. So how did you feel about the prospect of reading a chapter in 2022? I was like, okay, I'm going to make this easier on me. And so what I did is I had Siri read it to me. I highlighted the text and clicked speak. And so... I listened to it. It's one of those things where it's like speed listening. So like I have to just sit there and just listen as it comes in. I'm like, okay. And no time to really react to it. I'm like, oh, that's weird. That's bad. That's ugly. But it's one of those things where stuff like this doesn't trigger me as much because I'm now at a point in my personal journey where I don't, I think some people are just like, I don't want to read certain things because I don't want to get sucked back into something. And for mm-hmm. some folks, they'll pick up Wild at Heart and get sucked right back in because it all sounds so true from where they're sitting. And granted, master writer as far as like convince, like is it an essay where you convince somebody? Was pers- a persuasive essay, that's it. Come on, seventh grade grammar. <laughs> but it feels like he's writing a persuasive essay to get people on board with this idea that masculinity is under attack what's and at the same time mm-hmm. i can see that there is a little bit of gold very little bit just a very small amount of i see his point underneath under his bullshit it's like you see the symptom and you say this is the problem and i say here's the symptom and the issue is actually in the polar opposite direction of what you think this book gets so so close in so many ways. Oh, it's like you're yeah. saying something that's, oh, it could be so good. Is it going to? Nope, nope. There nope. you go. <laughs> it's like you're almost there. It's, unfortunately, it's like axe throwing with this guy. It's just, let me try. Let me just keep throwing axes to see if I land a bullseye. And like the way that he pulls scripture into it, too. I have a bunch of highlights as I'm going, going through these things. So we could start picking apart wherever if we want to, like... The ver- this chapter opens. He writes like in a, like mini essay format, almost like blog style, where I think it's like maybe 750 words a pop or less per section. So it's, I've got my thing to try and illustrate mm-hmm. this main thing. The first story comes up just like his kid 
got pushed down on the playground and he told his kid, I want you to go up and sock that kid as hard as you can, which, I mean, I'm from the school growing up because that's what my mama would have told me. It's just you fuck around, you find out. On the one hand, I'm just like a part of me was like, I want to say I see the point. But then I'm just like, wait, is that my upbringing, my violent upbringing, show, like showing itself? And I'm like, oh, okay, maybe not. But I think it was like, you, you want to teach your kid to like recycle violence. And the thing is, if you started at a young age, that doesn't go away. Like you're not teaching self-defense. Because at the same time, I'm just like, I do think someone should have the right to defend themselves in whatever way, but it's also, I'm also not a parent. So like that, that feels a little weird to me as well. But also, like, the thing I didn't like, I was, this is on page five, it says, quote, Jesus was able to retaliate, believe me, but he chose not to. And yet we suggest that a boy who is mocked, shamed before his fellows, stripped of all their power and dignity, should stay in that beaten place because Jesus wants him there. You emasculate him for life. And I looked at that statement, I'm just like, I want to take that phrase. And I want to just like, you say, like, a person like us, like anybody who left your spaces, for being mocked, shamed by his people, stripped of all of our power and dignity, we should stay in those places because it's God's will for us. You're telling on yourself, dude. And that's one of those things where he gets, again, he gets so close. In some ways, you're saying some of the things that we're saying, but you only want it to apply to you and your boys and in your situation. Because when we turn around and sock the church in his throat, the church is like, no, 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 you can't do that. Now you guys are being violent and we don't like it. But tomorrow we're going to turn around and remind you how, you know, the kingdom of God suffers violence and the violent take it by force. So we want to be allowed to force you to do whatever, to use violence, however it suits us, when it suits us. But we don't want it coming back on us. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's a universally good thing to tell your kid to hit somebody back because if you have a black child, that's prison. That is yeah. prison. Instant. Yeah. So I'd love you to go talk to that sector, John. Is this book still printed? Do people still read this book? Also, what person is just, this is the very end of it. It's like talking about no one's invited men to be dangerous. So no one ever invited them to be dangerous to know their own strength, to discover that they have what it takes. And I'm like, yeah, in some ways, masculinity as it is now, and still, and even in this book, disallows for that thing. And by dangerous, dangerous to whom? Dangerous Mm -hmm. to what? The thing that he confuses is, I don't think he actually means dangerous. I think he just means someone who is strong enough to defend themselves. Because actually danger is like, who the fuck wants to be dangerous? This whole book is written from white cis male privilege. But I wish men, white men would be dangerous to systemic racism, would be dangerous Mm -hmm. to capitalism, would be dangerous to these bigger things. But he's setting it all up, and it's all so, just like so much of evangelical Christianity, it's all so personal. And the only people you're, the only people, the only things you're being dangerous to in your day-to-day life are women, John, are your wife, are your children, mm-hmm. are the people around you. And you're out here just constantly looking for this battle to fight, so everybody is your enemy, and it's not good for anyone. It's not helpful. Who is this danger helping? Yeah. Jesus not, was dangerous mm, nope. to the system. You're just dangerous to others. I wonder how many of the men who stormed the Capitol on January 6th have Red Wild at heart. 
Because, like, that's the vibe this book gives me. Mm-hmm. This is part of the journey. <laughs> Taking hours. We got to go on. A- this is another thing you mentioned a couple times throughout this chapter was. I'm going to finish it with this because it's right here. That we don't know how to turn boys into men. Like, boys lack an initiation of sorts. That's a Western problem in general. I'm not, I'm going to say like that in some ways it's true because of the way that the education, and he names it too. The education system is a problem. Who doesn't like help children be who they are or learn how they need to learn. There's a society that is set up to tell people to that they have to be a certain kind of way or that they can't be who they are. I'm like, yes, you're right. But then he prescribes a certain way of being and it's like, no. Right. But it's like, it's like we see, it's, oh, we both see the problem. Mm-hmm. schools like the way we're educated is disallowing us from being ourselves yes but the way that you, your answer to it is so different in the worst way because your answer to other people being themselves is for them to actually become you i mm. have found the way to be masculine to be a man and so this is what everyone else needs to be allowed to do mm. and be this yeah. way what so as you're reading this from being a hormone like, what jumped out at you as your, ooh, as your first one, or just any of them? In this chapter, so chapters four and five, to me, are the worst chapters in this book. And they're all bad. They're all bad. But these, so in chapter four, there's one part where I wrote, oh, okay, this book hates women. And mm-hmm. then there was a part in here in chapter five, this part where he goes on about men being basically the best thing. So if a neighborhood is safe, it's because of the strength of men. Slavery was stopped by the strength of men at a terrible price to them and their families. The Nazis are stopped by men. Apartheid wasn't defeated by women. And I was like, oh, I said, I hate this book as much as it hates me. This book, John Eldridge, he doesn't know it, I'm sure, and he would deny it. You hate women, and this book does too. Like, the examples he gives are so very reductive of all of this historical moment. It, it, it was ended by men because women were not allowed to serve in the military. And also, who started it? That's like, that's the other thing. <laughs> men ended it. It's like, but <laughs> the call's coming from inside the house. <laughs> really? And I think that's also like the problem with, I think, like white folks who are just like, well, I, I didn't own slaves. I wasn't around for slavery. This is not my fault. I'm just like, I know that. But also just like, our people did. And... As a society, I'm not saying that you did it. Like, I'm right there with you, grew up poor, white, middle, poor, middle class, whatever you want to call it. But the difference is, is I'm not willing to deny what's actually in front of me. I'm not willing to deny history, what actually mm-hmm. happened, in order to make myself feel better. And also, it's just stop worrying about, stop worrying about what, ha- what happened. What are you going to do now? Right. Yeah, you're right. It wasn't your fault. What are you going to do now? If you don't feel responsible, then let's not have a conversation about this. But if you do feel some kind of responsibility here, to be different, to be better. We can tell you how to do that. But yeah, all wars were started by men. So also, what is the obsession with like the war metaphor, the fighting metaphors? The whole premise of the book, right? The three things a man wants, an adventure to live, a battle to fight, and a a beauty. To be rescued. Right. But a third of y'all's life's passion, at least, is battle. So Mm -hmm. there has to be war constantly. So Yeah. yeah. This whole book, he loves war, loves movies about war, and that's... That's avid. He's like, let me tell you about every single World War II movie that I love. 
And also, so it's, it's like the middle page is, let's say it's, I don't know, June 6, 1944. About oh seventeen oh seven hundred ten hours. You're a soldier <laughs> on the third wave to Omaha Beach. Girl, you weren't even there. How are you good? <laughs> and then he said, this is a parable. This is a parable. This is a parable. What's the parable? Why were those guys pinned down? And just like, I don't know. It's all of this. You need to be a man. You need to be free to be a man. And this is all the ways that you're lacking as a man. Yeah. And it's, this whole book is about war and being dangerous and allow men to be men. And again, if y'all were fighting something real, because there are battles, there are real battles right now for you to fight. Things you could really be standing up to and going against. But you're not talking about any of that. You're talking about stupid shit. You're talking about arguing with your wife and uh, not being overtaken by your office job. And like, mm-hmm. what? You, John Eldridge, I guarantee, in the time of slavery, would not have been someone who stopped slavery. Oh, no. You were not, not someone who would have stood up to the Nazis. Apartheid would still be going on if it were up to you. John Eldridge, because mm-hmm. you're so focused on what can I do to prove that I am a man here? You would be looking at the Nazi men. You would be looking at the slave owners. You would be looking at the people who are in the positions, who have the power that you want, and emulating them. So you would be mm-hmm. doing the same things that they're doing and trying to find your worth that way, because that is how he measures manhood. Give me war, any war. I don't even care which side. Sometimes he's talking about, oh, this here's this letter from this Union soldier. John, I haven't forgotten that just two chapters before, you were praising General Robert E. Lee for being a great general. Like, you could have chosen anyone, and you're out here praising Confederate soldiers. So you don't care about... Yeah, but before that, he had the respect and the honor of his men, I'll tell you that. Oh, and that's really what it is. It's not even about winning. It is about your pride and the respect that you get from certain people. And I think that in some ways that like looking at like the election results that came up from the midterms, analysts are saying it was like a quote unquote repudiation of what the GOP has been putting out for so long, which I think is heartening in some ways. Yeah. Even if a lot of these states are still like landing red in a lot of ways. Like a place like Kentucky is like past abortion protections or voted to keep abortion legal in Kentucky. Or like I don't want to go over the whole list of like cool things that happened because I'm still living in Georgia and Brian Kemp is still my fucking governor. But I think by and large, when I think about living in America, like sometimes it's hard to see that there are things that are trending in a positive direction for so many things. And I also think that there is, and maybe I'll just speak for myself and the experiences I've been having. I've been meeting a lot of, and meeting a lot of dudes recently, but I've been meeting a lot of like straight dudes who like are like, don't fit into like toxic masculine thing that a book like this is putting out. And they are really seeking how to be quote unquote good men. And not in a way that this book defines it, but in a way of just like, how am I loving the people around me and loving myself? And I'm like, ah, I'm so glad that you have that language. Yeah, I believe people are contrary to evangelical Christianity. We're not inherently bad. I think people are inherently good, inherently neutral at worst. And I think most people want what's good 
for others and want to do good things for other people. And I do think we are trending in a more positive direction. And it's like wild to me to hear to hear the GOP like right now and they're looking at those results. And instead of saying, oh, OK, maybe we made a mistake about what most people want. They're like, no, we know people don't want this. And so now our solution, single women shouldn't be allowed to vote. Households should only have one vote. Like we just, the youth, we're going to raise the age. They shouldn't be allowed to vote. Not because these are the things that are best for everyone. This is what everyone wants. But because we know these are not the things that people want. We know this is. If they vote, we lose. Right. And winning, winning is all that matters at any cost. Mm -hmm. That's all. Battle to fight. A battle to fight. And there are some very interesting conversations about, about like straight men and being like, no, a lot of, a lot of men have sex with women. So they're like, no, I'm straight. But men really only respect and honor other men. How many men are so homoerotic actually, because that's who you actually love. Yeah. You'll have sex with women, but you don't respect them. You don't care what they think of you. You, John Eldridge, you don't care what your wife thinks of you. You are trying so hard to get the respect of whoever the men are that you admire. That's what this masculinity is. Like, it is, let the rest of the world burn. Women, I don't care where you are, what you're thinking, what you're doing. What do the men think? What do other men think of me? And how can I seem like more of a manly man to other men? I think he, he, that section about fathers in the middle of it, it's like under the section titled Our Search for an Answer. As a person with daddy issues, I'm like, oh my God, they really did prey on me, didn't they? Of just don't find your meaning in your father. Don't find your meaning. And also it goes on, not just your father, but don't make, like it's a, the one essay right after taking it to Eve. Don't find your meaning in, in people, the woman with the golden hair. Don't look mm-hmm. for it in pornography. And so it's all these things. That there's, and then at the very end of it, he throws in that thing about same-sex attraction. Like, it's wild to me that this is what passed as good theology and good writing back in the day. But to make a point from where it is, it's just like, he is, in some ways, like, he's on the right track of saying, you can't find your worth in your parents' affirmation or not of you, and you can't find affirmation in, or you can't find your purpose in whether or not you had a spouse or a romantic partner or not. Like, you got to be okay on your own. But he doesn't say that. He's like, no, women are emasculating men. Yeah. People are emasculating men. That's the problem. Rather than, again, the calls from coming from inside the house. Like, what if you just took responsibility for your actions? And, like, women get blamed. Women are basically get blamed for everything. Someone I read said the church may have a masculine exterior, but its soul has turned feminine. And I said, how? Who did it? Who, because women, yes, there are a lot of women in church, but the men are the only ones in the leadership. So y'all created this. So if it's feminine, we didn't do that. We couldn't. We haven't had the power. Allowed. You know what we've been doing? We've been getting dinner ready for the potluck on Wednesday. We are teaching your kids and changing their diapers. We are maybe lightly running the youth group until you can find an underqualified 21-year-old who just graduated mm-hmm. Bible college, who right. secretly drinks, and he's ashamed of that. He does, <laughs> right. but he does, also, you better find a smoking hot wife before he gets here. Otherwise, like, 
who knows what kind of temptation he could fall into the, with the minister's other smoking hot wife. So it's like you, how is this our fault? We literally have no say so here. These are the best women. Like these are the kind of women you guys want. They're voting the way you want them to vote. They are as quiet and compliant and as objects. They are the objects that you want them to be. And yet somehow church is too feminine and it's our fault. That's the thing. They're too, women are too woman-like. Women are, these sensitive women, the way God created them is perfect, except for the fact that they have emotions like God created them. The problem <laughs> is that they are perfectly who they were created to be. It's just like, y'all's so math, it's really we tough. We can't win in this book. No. Could I pull on the queer threads that I want to... Please. If I may. He mentions, this is top of page seven. Also, this section is entitled, Finishing Him Off. Which, y'all, John Eldridge, <laughs> I swear to God, like, he either... Christians are either hilarious... Or they're, they don't, they're no clue. And I like to think that when someone does this, they're secretly trolling everybody. I'm just like, <laughs> that's funny, John. That's funny. But knowing him, anyways, I'm going to go to hell for that. that. <laughs> or heck, I don't know. I can't say hell. Top of page seven, he said, I read a case a few years ago about a baby boy who suffered a terrible blow during surgery. His penis was accidentally removed. The event took place back in the 70s. The decision made back... I know this story. I know this story because this is actually a part of intersex history and queer history mm -hmm. a little bit. Intersex, to be intersex is to be somebody who does not fall neatly into the category of biologically male or female, meaning your genitalia are ambiguous. Usually, it can express itself as ambiguous genitalia or having a penis and breasts or a feminine body with breasts and a vagina, but your chromosomes are male, quote-unquote male. Mm -hmm. So it expresses itself in all sorts of different and wild ways. And in this particular case in the 70s, there was a person who was born with ambiguous genitalia. And so rather than consulting with the parents saying, hey, you've got what looks like they have a vulva, but they also have what looks like an underdeveloped penis. And the doctors, thinking they were doing what they knew to be best, removed that. And this is what happened to intersex people all the time is that they would have their genitals reassigned or assigned for them or reassigned as infants, newborns, mm -hmm. with no knowledge of how they were going to possibly develop later in life. And so later on in life, when puberty kicks in and the body naturally does whatever it's going to do, people ended up having all sorts of really weird things happen. This group thinking that I was a girl, but I actually had a penis as a part of my body. And now my body is expressing itself this way. What? So this was not a case of a baby boy who got his penis accidentally removed. This was a case of an intersex child who had basically some sort of gender reassignment or assignment surgery without the, and usually it happened without parental notice I, as well. Mm. So this little thing that he's putting in here is something he probably heard on like Dateline because I've also I've seen it on these like shows of like medical mysteries or whatever. That was a case of someone who was intersex. And that is a biological phenomenon, which means God made it, if you still like God. And that's something that, like, I don't understand people. I'm just like, this is something occurring in nature. And you're telling me God has a, plan, a hand in everything. And not that? 
except for that. That's the thing that's out outside of God's plan, even though it was naturally knit together in their mother's womb. Make it make sense to me. And also, yeah. don't use like a random anecdote without citing what it actually is. That is bad writing. Then he goes on to say, the story is a parable of our times. It is exactly what we've tried to do to boys, starting from when they are very young. And it's like, who is we? John, who is doing this? What society are you living in coming from where, and who is this? Is it men? Is it women? Is it women? Are you probably women? So you can blame it on women. So you are saying that women are looking at their boy children, their sons and saying, oh, I just really would much rather he be a girl because that's what women want, apparently. Yeah. Yeah. I think that what's so funny is like something I wrote down in my journal one time, I'm still testing the validity of this statement, is that if men want to learn how to be good men, they need to learn how to become women. And by that, I mean, you need to learn <laughs> this thing. It's just like what it is to be soft, what it is to be strong in a way that is not oppressive, what it is to feel every single one of your emotions, what it is to be community oriented, what it is to create life within yourself. Even if you can't birth a child, you're, it's metaphorical. But there, this is what I've learned at least in my last, since I've been led by women since I came out seven years ago. And also when I was a part of Adventures and Missions, there was mostly women in leadership. And so they were like, what do they call them? It's like, we believe basically almost separate but equal. Like we have women in leadership, but the man's still the head of the household. As long as Seth Barnes Sr. is the president of the organization, women right. can work here. Yeah, I'm just like, y'all, it's so funny. I'm like, this is the, like, the same technique has been tried for years. The same kind of, we need to be men, we need to be men. I'm just like, what has it gotten you? Yeah. And also he says in this chapter, or maybe in that introduction, I can't remember, that is just like Jesus gave us a really good test. You're going to know a fruit, like a tree by its fruits. You're going to know a teaching by what it results in. And I'm sitting here thinking, I'm just like, are, you're not looking at your results. You're not right. looking at the data. You don't actually believe that. You only want right. to, you look at the poison, you look at the tree, mostly poison. But then you see this one, mostly rot, but you see the one, oh, did you see? Oh, good fruit. They pull the right. one shiny red apple before the rock gets to it. And so look, it looked for this person, but you bite into it, it's half a worm. Yeah. Ugh. That's what this yeah. book is. Not for nothing. It is exactly what it should be being grown in the soil that it was grown in from the seeds that it came from. Like, it's all bad and it could only be mm -hmm. bad. It's bad. These are some bad words. So we could make a podcast about this. <laughs> the last thing I want to pull off, it's the, la it's the la it's the literally the last paragraph. It says men who struggle with same-sex attraction are actually more clear on this point, knowing that what they're missing from their hearts is masculine love. And I will say, as a queer person who grew up in a culture where it was not okay for me to be soft, it wasn't okay for me to be queer, I was afraid of dudes because I was afraid that if they found out how I felt, I would be made fun of, I'd be ostracized, I'd get kicked out of all these places. And so in some ways, yeah, I was starved, quote unquote starved. I was missing masculine love. But what I was really missing was 
friendship. What I was missing mm -hmm. was the ability to be myself completely in front of whoever, no matter how they identified or what kind of energy they had, masculine or feminine. And so I will say, like, in some ways, he's not wrong in that point that people are, like, a lot of men are missing an affirmation of their masculinity. But what they need is an affirmation that your masculinity is because you're a man. It doesn't come from anything else other than the fact that you identify as a man, you're masculine. You soft boy, you're masculine. You strong, take proteins and you work it out. You like run and like you have sex with a lot of girls, masculine. You do the same thing when you have sex with a lot of boys, still masculine. It's like you're running after all this entire chapter. Like the thing under the thing is saying, stop looking to everybody else for your validation for your masculinity. But then at the same time, it's prescribing behaviors that are supposed to affirm your masculinity when it doesn't do that at all. It just is another point of conditional alignment. It's working on the outside. It's trying to change my environment so that I can feel okay rather than I need to learn how to be okay with whoever I am and however it expresses itself. And that's what they tend to do with ex-gay theologies like this. And also it says, uh, seven, on page 17, last one says, they've sexualized this lack of love for masculine love. And also they quote Dr. Joseph Nicolasi, which is like, let me not say a thing that I can't get sued for. He was the psychologist who, at the height of Exodus International, was the one they pulled in to give some kind of psychological validity to a lot of the ex-gay theology, saying that, oh, yeah, it's because boys don't connect with their fathers, because girls don't connect with their mothers. And so John Eldridge just says it like they sexualized it. But what the, the thing under that, what the bad theology would say, is that, uh, it's because you're trying to connect with the masculinity or femininity that you don't feel you possess yourself. And so you're trying to get that into your body. Therefore, it becomes sexualized. But then he also says later on, it says, when the search becomes entangled with sexual issues, it becomes hopeless search. And that is why the overwhelming number of homosexual relationships do not last. Why so many gay men move on from one man to another. And why so many of them suffer from depression and a host of other addictions. And I just want to say a huge fuck you to John Eldridge for that point, starting in reverse order. One, do you want to know the reason that we are addicted to a lot of drugs and are depressed? It's because we've li we didn't have the right to marry who we wanted to until very recently, less than 10 years, I think. So less than a decade. And also now they're trying to take it away. They're, yep. If the Supreme Court has their way, it will be gone. Yep. And that's why I'm really excited that they're pushing to, what is it, the Respect for Marriage Act, which still, states would still be allowed to, to outlaw same-sex marriage. I would have to go to a different state. I don't want everyone to get married because it's a sham. But if I did, <laughs> I'd have to go somewhere else to do that. That's wild. So let me just say this. The reason we're doing this because... You told us we were going to hell forever. You called us abominations. You told us that we all were dying of AIDS and that we were the reason that America was falling apart. And so those of us who grew up in those homes get depressed because we're trying really hard to be good people. And on the end of it, like the only thing that numbs our pain is smoking a joint. Or for those of us who are really depressed, we find our way into all sorts of hard things. Drug rates are up and use is up, not because we're queer, but because we live in a world full of trauma and we're trying to like just be okay in our body. Mm -hmm. Number two, 
our emotional trauma and the reason that we move on from person to person as I just want to say that the divorce rate is 50% across the board, like relationships across the board. It's always 50%. You stay together or you don't, there's there's only ever that. And so you can't look at a bunch of gay people who, for many of us, late bloomers in life, so like we didn't get to try on like what a, what feels right for dating for me early on in life. Two, sometimes we a lot of gay men do have emotional stunting, but again, that's not their fault because they are trying to play up into your masculinity stereotypes, which then get warped and fucked up in other ways within the gay male community. And yeah, I would even say that like our obsession, a lot of gay men's obsession with just having sex in shallow relationships. Again, I'm just I'm looking at them just like, is that the problem? No, the sex is not the problem. And also, just as someone who's a bona fide slut, can't say <laughs> can't say it's a problem for me per se. That's literally just a respectability thing. Yeah. And also, just like, why would you want anyone to stay in a relationship that wasn't good for them? Why Why is longevity the marker of success for you? Like, and this is another thing that I think gay Christians and like progressive Christians maybe get caught up in is like they're still fighting for this patriarchal white version of marriage. I think even like in my, a lot of my original work within, I was working for a reformation project for a while. I'm fine naming names, but their thing is we want churches to move forward in this one theological space so that we can bless same sex marriage. Monogamous lifelong between two people marriages and that's it and guess what trying to live into that at least 50 percent of us can't do it and for these like what stats are we working with here because like you said 50 50 you stay or you go it's going to work out or it's not yes the christian standard wants to rush very young people into marriages so a lifelong commitment whoever looked at you and was like oh okay it's first person you ever kissed first person you ever had sex with and now y'all are locked in this lifelong commitment so done but outside of that are gay people having more relationship breakups than straight people who are just figuring stuff out just out here don't necessarily want to get married we're just out here so where are your stats coming from what are you basing this on I think all of this can be said of straight people. These aren't gay issues. This isn't, oh my goodness, they are so out of bounds, so out of control. Lord knows straight people are not depressed and are not doing drugs at all. Yeah, none of them are doing none of them, not a one. They've all given it to God. Right. (laughs) They let go, they let God, and now all they just, I just asked God to heal me, and then he did. And he did. And it's just that easy. And yeah, I don't know. I don't know why you can't get it together, but the straight people, they're doing great. And all of this is just, the whole book is just self-congratulatory. Good job. Good job being straight. Look at you fighting the fight and winning that battle. Yeah. Go you. Thank God that you imagined yourself on the beaches of Normandy so that you could feel good enough to write about it. But what does he say? Also, I want to say this is, he tries to drag Julia Roberts for a minute. We just, I remember seeing a picture of Julia Roberts without costume and makeup. And I realized, oh, she's just an ordinary woman. I'm just like, Julia Roberts is not an ordinary woman. She's you don't know what you're fucking talking about. And you keep my best friend and my auntie's name out your fucking mouth. But it's just like, duh. Like, this is, just like, but have you ever looked at a man and thought, just, you know what? That's just an ordinary dude. 
You know what? <laughs> they never like men. Like, women can just be ordinary, but men, you have to be extraordinary. You have to be the one who's fighting for them. You have to. Women need to be thankful to you. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, what are you, right. man? And they should be thankful to you, all of them, even a basic bitch like Julia Roberts. And even that part, I wrote a note because John Eldridge came out of the theater world. So he was a theater guy. So when I got to that part, my note was, John, you stupid bitch. (laughs) You were in the theater. You know how costumes and makeup work. You... (laughs) I don't know what your issue with Julia Roberts is. I don't know why, but like you are being petty and stupid here. You know how makeup works. Don't. This is a, this book is a work of fiction. This is lies. You are pretending this whole time. Why do you, again? This book hates women, and I don't know why you particularly hate Julia Roberts, but you do, and you decided to take her down. Try to take her do down a peg here. Should we write to Julia Roberts and say, I don't know if you know this. But John Eldridge thinks you're just an ordinary woman outside of your costumes and makeup. And she'll probably say, who is that? Who? <laughs> exactly. And this is another trend I see, like, just the, it's the, this need. I need someone to tell me that I am important enough. I need someone to tell me that even if I'm not doing good, even if I'm not doing the right thing, I'm, I got to be okay. Otherwise, it's emasculating. Anything yeah. that she doesn't like about me is just, that's emasculated. Don't tell me that. Yep. And I, I want to, like, dude, like, she's really, she's just, most of the time, she's telling you how to love you. Most of the time. Now, I'm not saying that there are, like, folks out there who have their own trauma and don't, and, you know, hashtag not all relationships. That there's abusive people in any position within a relationship. And right. the data suggests that... What is there like? There was like the study that said that there was like an increasing number of single white men who aren't having sex till like into the middle of their twenties, and people are like, why is it happening? It's just I can think of a few reasons, and and also I just want to say, what's the common? I would also like to see like the demographic factor on this. I would like to see the political factor mm-hmm. on this. I would like to see the behavioral factors on these young men because I bet you that there are some common themes. It's, we see it on TikTok, like all the really shitty, the shitty boy, white boy on TikTok with the microphone who like pays somebody else to edit his TikToks because they've got money for it. Exactly. I have someone who edits my podcast now, but that's about as far as I can afford at this moment. <laughs> and that is the exact level I'm trying to get on right now. But it's, again, with them seeing how the midterms turn out, and, oh, no, we don't want to change anything we believe, so now we have to figure out how to raise the voting age, how to stop women from voting, or whatever. And it's the same with, yeah, these guys not having sex until whatever, because the playing field has changed, and women have more options now. And women are like, oh, actually, I don't, I'm not trying to get married when I'm 21, so I don't have to put up with this kind of behavior. And yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to school, and I'm going to, I'm just going to fuck with the guys that I want to fuck with when I want to fuck with them, and Sorry, we have jobs and we have cars and we have our own things now. This is credit cards. Yeah, yeah. And so they look at that credit cards until the seventies, which is insane, insane. My mom. I think this is this thought just came to my head. My mom forever has been telling me that Kevin, you are still gonna have to like 
keep it respectable because at some point you might have to go get a job where you're going to have to cover up your tattoos and yada yada because my generation still runs the world. And mm-hmm. I think my mom was right up until about like 10 years ago was when like something clicked for me. And what it's it just says, if I'm trying to, I don't want to be in that world. Yes, your generation runs that particular world. Your generation runs the corporations. Your generations are the bosses. And frankly, I'm not interested in having any more bosses. Right. I'm not interested in another like job to make somebody else a bottom line anymore. It's like that's all the jobs I had up until going solo entrepreneur bullshit. It was always about another person's bottom line and never about the person's. We were like the, I worked for a tech company and our whole thing is we want to aggregate time in between calls and to help deliver more training to call call center workers or make them more productive. And I'm like, working at a call center sucks. You mean to tell me that you're going to relegate my breaks five minutes or three minutes or just, you're going to deliver 60 seconds of content here. So in between calls, like I'm still productive. Even though this is the worst fucking job on the planet, I'm like, I can't, I don't want to do this. I don't care about this. This isn't helping any queer people stay alive. This isn't helping any black people get free. This is not helping any trans people get what they need. And that I think is the struggle of like where the even the white evangelical church in America is right now, is that your youth group kids have grown up. We're not going to we're not playing the game. We're going to get tattoos on our necks and we're going to go to brunch on Sunday rather than worrying about what you think of me anymore. Right. And like anyone who has ever read Wild at Heart, if you had to read them, it's like make blackout poetry out of it if you can. Maybe if you got a bonfire, get some cider, put some rum in it. And the other day I was cleaning out my front room. My boyfriend's moving in because we're going to live in sin. Yay! Um, it's so cute! I really... <laughs> I fucking love him. Dean, if you're listening to this, I don't think you are. Cause you don't. But something I love about our relationship is Dean's a dude. He's a dude. But I get to be a dude too, but I'm also a soft dude, a soft lady. And my femininity, he thinks it's sexy when I wear a skirt and like a halter top and makeup. Like, what? He thinks it's hot when I have lipstick on. I never thought that my brand of person, the story that this book told me, no one's going to love a freak you. Guess what? Feel more love now than I ever did back then. Because you are in the world as you were made to be in the world. And yeah, like the world was waiting, was made to love you as you are and was waiting for that. And this Mm -hmm. book, that's what everyone wants. And John wants to break it down. Here's what men want and here's what women want. We all want the same thing. People just want to be happy, to be loved, Mm -hmm. like to just be in community, to belong. To be themselves completely, Mm -hmm. warts and all, in front of somebody and then not reject them. And to be accepted. And not even necessarily like, like, I want to be accepted as I am. And what you're saying is I don't really want to take responsibility for the things I've done wrong. But those of us, that's what I think, like, white people and people of power, they say, I just want to be accepted for who I am. I'm just like, voting Republican is a choice, okay? That's not an identity marker that you said, like, I was born this way. No, you weren't. Right. You might have been born into that, but you don't have to stay that way. 
But that's really at the end of it. I'm just like, I do love you no matter what. I do. Like, we're, what we're talking about is unconditional love. Right. And most Christians don't know it and have never felt it. They think they do because they know the words. They've heard the words. And the words have been used and said. Unconditional love is that God sent his only son to die for me. And now my unconditional love to you is to tell you the same story and tell you how to keep that unconditional love. But wait a minute. If I'm trying to keep it, then it's not unconditional. But we're not ready for that conversation. So... (laughs) Let's write a new book called Wild at Heart. The Exvangelical's Guide to Just Being That Your Fucking Self. Actually, that's not a bad idea. We all just contributed an essay. This is actually not a bad idea. I'm writing this down. We don't even need to get it published. We just need to make a little, just like a little ebook of just silly, like just making fun of things. I love it. But we don't have that yet. We only have this. And everything... Everything is permissible. We cannot stop John Eldridge from writing a book and from putting it out there and can't stop people from reading it. But not everything is beneficial. So on a scale from Mm. 1 to 10, 10 beneficial for everyone. Run out, get it, live by it, love it. Down to 1. This is the Runaway Bride uh, books. Do not marry this at the altar. Keep going. Harmful for everyone. Where would you put this? Solid one. Yeah. I was like, could I give it a two? But no, it's a solid on the very bad scale because it's even bad for men to read this. In fact, it's mo- it's very harmful for men to read this, I think. Because if, if you can get past all of his bullshit and get to the part where he's just saying, you just need to be yourself, which is like the thing that he wants to say, but if he said that, he couldn't sell a book. But maybe he doesn't want to say that. I Maybe I'm reading my own desires onto um john eldridge's heart maybe his heart is made of snakes <laughs> and like moldy bread and just full of i don't know he it feels like i feel like his heart is like arby's and i don't even have to explain it beyond that just it's like arby's it's just john eldridge's heart is made of punching is made of war and a roast beef sandwich from Arby's. So yeah, this book's a piece of shit as per usual, but I think it's as a as an exercise in ident- like being able to identify good teaching from bad teaching. This was a very fun exercise for me because it's like it's been a while since I've read the enemy's words, if you will. <laughs> yeah, and that is this on a ten. Yeah. Instead of wild at heart. Is there an activity, book, movie, music, anything wild that you would recommend? Don't read this book. Spend that time doing... Watching the wild thornberries. Something wild. I do, I love cartoons. That's very fun. If you're looking for action and adventure, if you're a video games girl, Assassin's Creed is, I think, one of the best franchises for Xbox. If you are a PS5 girl, Batman. The new Batman video game is so good and you can play as Batgirl in it which of course I am um, but I would say like if for anything like instead of do something that's going to be fun but instead of reading this book I'm a yoga yogi person and I love practicing and so if you've never established or had a practice of yoga before and you want to get in touch with your feelings and your body at the same time 
go find a studio that and try a bunch of different studios. Don't go to just one and be like, oh, I hated that. You probably just didn't like that teacher or that style that they were teaching. I love a good, lazy yoga class. And by that, a teacher who does not care if I'm following all of her poses or their poses or his poses. But I've gone, gone through yoga classes and I got tired and then I just laid down. Like, there's still 20 minutes left. I'm like, nope, I am. I'm done. So I would say yoga has been really fun for me. And that's don't read this book. Go move your body in a way that feels good. Go to a drag show. Go to try new makeup. Go watch a video of Carla, Carla Lolly music on YouTube, and then try to make one of her recipes. They're pretty easy. Literally do anything else. I can't. Just don't read this book. Any final words, closing thoughts? Anything you didn't get to say that you want to say? Um, closing thoughts. I'm really happy that, and I would say that there seems to be less and less books like these out there, but I don't actually think that's true. I just think I'm not paying attention as much. But I am so happy for voices like you who are out here. Just let's just, let's have some fun with this. So my final words, thank you for having me. I had a lovely time. This was a really, this is a really cool idea and a really fun, it was fun, very fun. And in closing. Why have I said all this about our search for validation and the answer to our question? Because we cannot hear the real answer until we see we've got a false one. So long as we chase the illusion, how can we face reality? The hunger is there, it lives in our souls like a famished craving, no matter what we've tried to fill it with. If you take your question to Eve, it will break your heart. I know this now, after many, many hard years. You can't get your answer there. In fact, you can't get your answer from any of the things men chase after to find their sense of self. There is only one source for the answer to your question. And so no matter where you've taken your question, you've got to take it back. You have to walk away. That is the beginning of your journey. This is where I used to add some more commentary, but I have decided the conversations are so good that it's okay for me to just let them be enough. I'm ready to get back to producing episodes of God is Not Given, which means something has got to give. So I will be limiting my extra Eldritch commentary to the patron-only episodes. So... If you just really want to hear more from me, you can sign up for that over on patreon.com. You can find me on Spotify. I just released some new music, the Love Lost EP, which is the first in a new series. The next one will be out in a few weeks. Also in a few weeks, The Secrets of Hillsong, a Vanity Fair docuseries that will be streaming on FX and Hulu. I have no idea how much I'll be in it, but I did take part. So there's that. Also, I was approached about taking part in a fun little vanity project with Lista Vall Records. On June 25th, I will be doing a recording session and making personal keepsake records for whoever wants one. And listen, your girl's got plans. She's going to be somebody someday. And I don't know, it's going to be cool to have, you know, a one of a kind recording with a personal performance and a personal message from me to you. So for more info on any or all of the above, head on over to JaniceLegata.com. If for nothing else, to see how the old website is looking these days. And if for no other reason than that John Eldridge would never support anything of mine. And you don't want to be like him. 
Right. Thank you for joining me for this chapter of Wild at Heart. I certainly hope you had a better time listening than I did reading. Bad Words is an irreverent media podcast, a Legata Scratch production, and a Goddess Not Given side hustle. Produced by Janice Legata and made possible by the generous support of jobly and job-willing patrons like Phil. Thank you, Phil. If you're enjoying this season, please let the people know by leaving a rating or review. And if you'd like more info on how to become a monthly supporter and get access to bonus episodes, hit the show notes for the links. And until we meet again, take care of you and be well. I am Janice Legata, and this has been an episode of Bad Words, but here are some good ones. The first thing that came to mind was butt stuff. And this is like, on some level, I think that is a true thing because A, there are too many straight men out there that I know are not washing their butthole. And if you're not a sex person or don't have a lot of sex, maybe you haven't encountered this, or maybe all of your lovers are just completely clean. But there has been times in my life where a DL straight man wants me to come over and do things with him. And I get close to going to town on something and then I, and I'm like, what? No, you're not. No, I have to go. So that's the first thing. A for cleanliness sake. Take some soap, take your hand and go, whoop, whoop. That's it. Doesn't take much. Two, the pleasure that you can experience. Oh my God. You don't even have, that's the thing. People think, oh, I gotta, woohoo, I gotta put something way up there. No, you don't. Get a little something, get a little baby butt plug. The difference in orgasm sensation is the difference between seeing a video of fireworks on Instagram stories and seeing fireworks from inside the explosion. That's the difference. It is, it's a, it's, it's so much bigger, louder and explosive. So just from a pure pleasure standpoint, like I really just think it's, it feels so good, and it's something that I was like, oh, I can't do that, that's emasculating. But I'm over here having the time of my life. So that's one thing. The other thing I would say you need to explore is psycho- go to a fucking psychologist. And I would say you probably need a gay best friend of some kind, because who's like awake to all the things? Not try to find yourself a, your token gay friend. No, No, but I really do think that if you don't have relationships with queer people, like you're missing out and be you want to be more you want to become secure in your masculinity hang out with queer people people who have had to work for their gender if you will and nothing will because i'm not out here like i'm gender queer but i'm not i'm not freaking out about it all the time if you will i'm bored with it sometimes we get it you're a man okay do you want this do you want a shot or not so Find some queer friends. It will probably make you uncomfortable at first if you're not used to that sort of thing, but lean into your discomfort. Ask why am I discomfort, discomforted or uncomfortable is the word. <laughs> Ask why you're uncomfortable. Why is it that gay people make you feel, ooh. You just, because at the end of the day, everyone deserves to be free. And men, start now. Go see a therapist, make some queer friends, and then have your girlfriend put one one finger up your butt and it'll change your life.